0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit SovGraceChurch.ca. So I want to remind us this morning of Christ's solidarity with us, with humanity. Many of us are more lonely, more anxious, more weary in ways that we had never have been before. Social distancing has reinforced the notion that we are alone in our situation. And it can be difficult to be like Mary, like we just heard, to have our spirits rejoice in God our Savior. But Jesus, he intimately knows what each one of us are experiencing. And through our text today, I want us to to marvel again at the beauty of the incarnation, what we celebrate during Christmas, that God would dwell among the people that he chose to save. And my hope is that this will renew our gratitude at the end of a difficult year, that it would give faith and joy for us to continue to persevere, and that it would encourage us to draw near to Christ. So with that, please turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. The words will be on the slides behind me. I'll be reading from the ESV. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, High priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Our sermon today will have three points. We'll see that Christ became like us, Christ suffered for us, and Christ offers life to us. We'll start with the first point, Christ became like us. Before we jump into our text, let's quickly orient ourselves in the book of Hebrews. So, so far in the book up to here, the author has been displaying the supremacy of Jesus. God, at one, at one time, he spoke to, to his people through the prophets, but now he's speaking to them through his own son, who is God himself. And in the rest of chapter one, this son, this king, is shown to be far greater than Angels, and he reigns as king over all creation. And this theme of Christ as king continues under chapter 2 where we find ourselves. King Jesus is entrusted with accomplishing the grand plan of salvation. And we will see today, to do this, Jesus must become like the people that he is to save. So this is what we see when we get to our passage Today, look with me at the beginning of verse 14. This is what it says. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. The word therefore here draws an an implication from the three Old Testament quotations right before in verses 12 and 13. What the author does is apply scripture for us. He places these words rightly in the mouth of Jesus, who is the word of God. And what we see Jesus doing here is the Son identifying with humanity. So look, look quickly with me at these, at these three quotations. So we see the first one is taken from Psalm 22. Jesus here calls humanity his brothers. I will tell of your name to my brothers, He calls them his brothers, his own family. And the second one from Isaiah 8, it says, I will put my trust in him. He joins with Israel to put his trust in God. And in the third one, in Psalm 95, he says, Behold, I and the children God has given to me. He associates himself with the children God has given him to. To save, I and the children. And so when we come to verse 14, the fact that Jesus partook, he physically shared in humanity, this hits us with fuller force. The word translated as partook here, it forges a close link between two different entities. We see this word in two other places in Hebrews. When speaking of the rest for God's people in chapter 3, it says, for we have come to share in Christ. This describes Christians' union with Christ. And then a little later on in chapter 6, on the passage on apostasy, those who are enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift have shared in the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in taking on flesh, fully shared human nature with us. He gained a human body. He was born and he grew up as a boy. He possessed a human mind and a human heart. He felt what we have felt, disappointment, joy, sadness, weariness, and temptation. The son who experienced Perfect fellowship within the Trinity. He had friends and neighbors. The word of life saw sickness and death. The King of kings paid taxes and he was subject to the authorities of his day. The image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God, he took on flesh of those he came to save. And when we look ahead in verse 16, we see it, that it is these same children that Christ came for. Look with me at verse 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. If we've read our Bibles, we know that salvation is not just for the literal offspring of Abraham, the ethnic Jews, but it is for all nations, for non-Jews as well. But the nation's share in salvation is really beyond the scope of the author's present argument. He is focusing on his Jewish audience. So as we continue to verse 17, it is for these children, it's for these offspring of Abraham that Christ becomes like man. Look with me at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Because he came to help man, he had to become like man in every way. Last, last week, I read, a, I read a story of a father who did something really wonderful for his, his son. His eight-year-old son, he has a large birthmark that covers a, a huge part of his, of his body. And what the father noticed was that when the, whenever the son went to swim in the, in the swimming pool, he would keep his shirt on because he was embarrassed. So what the father did is what he, he, got, he got his mom to, take, to secretly take a picture of this birthmark. And then he took this picture and he went to a tattoo shop and for 30 painful hours he got an exact replica of his son's birthmark on his body. You can imagine the surprise and the joy of, of the son when he sees his father do this for him. And his father his father says, Now we have the same mark for life. Now what Jesus became in the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas, it's it's not just a cause for for mere sentimentality. The, The story doesn't end, just end with sweet baby Jesus lying in a manger filled with straw. There's a much grander narrative. And this brings us to our second point. Christ suffered For us, Christ suffered for us. Why why is it so important for Jesus to be human? Listen to how David De Silva answers this question. This is what he says The Son could not have died without becoming human, He had to become like us to experience the trauma of death. He became like us in order to suffer for us, suffer in our place. By sending Jesus to be born as a man, the father makes him the most effective and the most sensitive mediator of God's favor. Look at what we see in verse 17. Again, we'll go a little further in the verse. It says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that, and here's the purpose so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. The priest in, in any religion is, is an intermediary, intermediary a, a mediator between the divine and humanity. The Latin word for, for priest, pontifex, means bridge builder, a bridge between a deity and its worshipers. Now, the priests of Israel, they represented the people before God, and they represented God before the people. But why another human priest? Is Jesus any different? Our verse tells us that he is merciful and he is faithful in his service to God. Many of the priests, if we've read the Old Testament, they they were indeed faithful to their charge to some extent. But what we see is that the priests are constantly, we see the constant corruption of the priests in the Old Testament. Some of them took the best meat out of the sacrifices for themselves. Some of them were involved with cult prostitutes. And others led Israel astray by worshiping false gods. But Jesus, he is ever faithful In Hebrews 3, we see that Jesus is said to be faithful to God who appointed him. He was made like his brothers, the priests, in every respect. He was tempted like they were in every respect. But what Hebrews 4 tells us is that he did not sin. He was faithful. And in Jesus, we not only have a faithful high priest, but a merciful one. If you notice, nowhere in scripture do we see the priests being called merciful. And even early Jewish philosophers, they emphasized the need for priests to separate themselves from natural human affections. And the priests, they also, they did not go near to the spiritually or the morally or physically impure because their impurity would be transferred on to them. But how, how does Jesus, how does he interact with every single person who falls far short of his sinless perfection? He walks among them. He draws near to them. He touches the unclean leper and he cleans him. It is is to Jesus, it's not to the priests, that the blind man at Jericho says, son of David, have mercy on me. He eats with the social rejects, the tax collectors, the sinners. He has compassion on those who are lost. Jesus, the merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus, the embodiment of the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. But verse, verse 17 doesn't end with just describing who Jesus is as a high priest, as, as glorious as that is. It climaxes on what he came to do. Look with me again at verse 17. This time we'll finish the verse. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that, one, he might become become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And two, to make propitiation or atonement for the sins of the people. When Israel sinned, the priest offered an animal sacrifice as payment for disobeying God's law. Blood was required to restore the relationship with God. But as we see, this is not enough. We see in Hebrews 10 that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin Now how does Jesus how does he deal with sins as the high priest He is born as a man He faces temptation as a man He lives a life of perfect obedience to the Father that no one else could And he offers himself as the perfect sacrifice The Lion of Judah becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No other priest could do that and no other priest would want to. No one else could fully absorb the wrath of God. No one else could satisfy the demands of God's holy justice. Listen to what R.C. Sproul says about this. Jesus had to live a life of obedience before his death could mean anything. He had to acquire, if you will, merit at the bar of justice. Without his life of sinless obedience, Jesus' atonement would have no value at all. Jesus, the merciful and faithful high priest, not only dies for us, but he has lived for us. And it is by his perfect life offered in death that we can have life. And this brings us to our final point. Jesus became like us, he suffered for us, and he offers life to us. What is this life that Christ offers? Last week we were reminded of what eternal life is in in John's writings, in his gospel and in the book of 1 John. It is knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It is fellowship with the Father and the Son. And our passage here expands on what this life is like. So look with me again at verse 14. This is what it says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, that's the means, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil. Satan, the the slanderer, he tries with all of his might to seduce people to, to sin, to doubt the very words of God. Did God really say? And the devil, as Johnny tells us, has been a murderer from the beginning, he works in the realm of death. He provokes people to sin that leads to death. But Jesus, through his own death on the cross, he destroyed the devil and his works. This is what we see in 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He crushed the head of of the serpent. He triumphed over him in death. Now, now the devil he he still has has power. We are told that he 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 prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But through what Christ has done, his his purposes have been thwarted. His limited power falls under the absolute power of God, who rules over life and death. And what we see as we keep reading in verse 15 is that Christ's death not only defeats the devil, but he also gives freedom to those living in fear. This is what we see in in verse 15. So Christ, back in verse 14, through death, destroys the devil. And in verse 15, he delivers all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Many of us growing up, um, including myself, we were afraid of the dark. And maybe some of you, know, you children sitting here, you, you still are. It's, it's the unknown blackness, the, the possibility of, of something or someone jumping out at you, um, that, that low growling noise that you can't quite pinpoint what it is. And the fear, the fear of all this controls us, and we can't help but be scared. But when your dad or your mom holds your hand and walks in with you, when, when, they, when they chuckle and they say, you know, they show you that this monster is, is really just the furnace or, or the washing machine, then you realize that there is no more need to fear. Now, f- physical death, it will, it will still come to, to each one of us that's, because that's, that's part of being, of being human. But the fear of spiritual death, the constant fear of eternal punishment in hell, Christ's death has taken care of this. Fear is a cruel master. But the Christian is is free from such fear. Sins are atoned for. No more condemnation. Covered by Christ's righteousness. Righteousness. The devil can no longer slander the believer before God. Christ has dealt with death, our enemy, and the fear of death itself. And the Christian can confidently say, with Paul, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? This is life. No longer chained up in death row awaiting your execution freedom from the fear of endless punishment we rightly sing my chains fell off my heart was free but there's more there's more to life in Christ the narrow path the narrow way of the Christian life is is not an easy one as many of us know The the sojourner faces trials on the way to the celestial city. But we are not left helpless and alone. Something comforting that that Pastor Tim has has said to me and, and to many of us is that God never gives us a command without giving the power to obey it. On our own, we cannot be in the world and not of it. We are not able on our own to put the flesh to death, to put what is earthly in us, To death. We cannot hope to resist the devil. But what our verse tells us in verse 18 is that we have access to divine power. So look with me at verse 18. For because he himself, Christ, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but, but we are often, I am also, I'm usually slow to listen to advice from people who have not experienced what I have. And even more so when they, when they say, you know, sometimes, most of the time, well-meaning, I know exactly what you are going through. But Jesus, he has become like us. He's been tempted in every way and emerged Sinless. He also experienced disappointment, rejection from those closest to him, even being forsaken by his own father at the cross. And how, how did he face these trials? He, first Peter tells us, he entrusted himself to the God who judges justly. His own father, he says, not my will, but yours be done. His suffering through trials qualifies him to help those who are being tempted. You know, when we see when we see friends and and family in a time of testing or or temptation, we we earnestly desire to help them. But Christ is not only willing, he is able. Our our accountability partners, our, our mentors, they get busy. Our, our parents or our spouses or our friends, they might not always know what to say. But our, our Savior, our, our great high priest, he stands ready at any moment to help when we are tested. He, he beckons us, come, follow me, come to me. And how often do we shy away from our king's sweet invitation? This, this is the life graciously given to us in Christ, access into eternal fellowship that the triune God enjoys. Our greatest enemy is destroyed and we have power from on high to fight what would turn us from the source of true satisfaction. Now, if you're not yet a follower of, of Jesus... Does the freedom from the fear of death, does it sound too good to be true? Can it really be possible that there is someone able to sympathize, able to help me with what I'm going through right now? My loneliness, my anxiety, my weariness, But as you've heard today, this is is what Jesus came to give to those who trust in him. What, What does this say about God's desire to save? That he actually stepped into our world and became one of us. That he offers abundant life through the death of his son. It shows the value of human life. It shows the dignity of your life. Don't let this be another Christmas where, where Christ is merely the first syllable of the word. Marvel at the generosity of God in allowing you today to hear, whether for the first time or for the hundredth time, his great desire to give true life to people like you. And it is our prayer, we, we, prayed, for, we prayed for you today in the pre-service prayer that he would grant you the faith to trust in Christ's death and to receive promised salvation and joy. And for my, for my beloved family in, in Christ, how, how blessed we are to be the children of God. What privilege we have to come wherever we are, whenever, to draw near to the throne of grace, to find grace and mercy in our time of need. But even though, even though we know this truth, even though we, we pray it over each other, it can be so easy to shrink away from the help that is ours. Busyness, fear, weariness, our, our help can seem so distant. The question in our minds is, is, can Jesus really help me through what I'm going through right now? but I encourage you, go, go to your savior. He he has gone further in testing than any of us. You will will never find yourself in a place where Jesus will not be sympathetic to your situation, where he will not know the discomfort that your needs create. Go, Go to him, the inexhaustible fountain of joy and peace. Listen to what Ray Ortland says about this. Christ's heart is not drained by our coming to him. His heart is filled up all the more by our coming to him. Others, Others may grow weary of listening to your struggles, but Christ always welcomes your tears and your prayers. Go to the one who gives rest for your weary soul. I'll finish with these words from, these precious words from Samuel Rutherford, a Scottish pastor in the 1600s. There is no sweeter fellowship with Christ than to bring our wounds and our sores to him. Take hold of the abundant life that is yours in Christ. Soul-satisfying fellowship with the Father and the Son by his Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your grace in sending him to be a man, to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we should have died, and that we can have life in him. Father, I pray that your Spirit would convict those who are not yet followers of you that Uh, He would do what he promised, to convict convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment. Give them faith um, to turn and respond to the gospel. And I pray for um, my brothers and sisters here that you would um, give us all faith to turn to Jesus, to to turn to him to find grace and mercy in our time of need. We thank you and we pray all this in his name, amen.